The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febctoday.org. Now, looking back on my life, it's clear that God was, was preparing me each step of the way for the position that I hold now, and it's a, it's a real, it is a real privilege to serve ECFA and, uh, and our members. His name is Dan Busby, and he's the president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. You'll hear about his calling and mission coming up now on First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. I believe you'll enjoy hearing how ECFA provides a vital service in assuring financial integrity in Christian organizations. Speaking of that, the Far East Broadcasting Company is an active member of ECFA, and they make these weekly interviews possible. Learn more about how FEBC proclaims Christ through international broadcasting and other means. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for more about this outstanding ministry. That's firstpersoninterview.com. Also look for us at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview where you can comment on the interviews you hear. Once again, that's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, let's meet our guest now. Dan Busby is the author of many books dealing with financial and tax matters for individuals, churches, and nonprofit ministries. But he has an important primary responsibility, and that's where we begin our conversation. I'm president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, better known as ECFA, and our mission is enhancing trust in Christ-centered churches and ministries. It's a crucial role that ECFA plays in our world today, Dan, and we'll talk more about that in a few moments, but I want to talk about you first of all. Uh, take me back. Tell me about your life and testimony. Where would you like to start? Well, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a small-town guy. Uh, Wayne grew up in a, in a town of, of 30 people in, in East Kansas, um, you know, found the Lord uh, in a in a camp meeting um, in in Kansas, uh, not uh, not with a sawdust floor. It, it had a cement floor on it, but it was a <laughs> it was a tabernacle, and uh, once a year once a year camp meeting, and uh, so that was that was the beginning of my walk uh, with Christ. Uh, but, but my wife and I were back in Kansas uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, back to the small village of of thirty people where I grew up, uh, and and the village uh, where uh, where my father helped plant a church. He was a he was an itinerant uh, preacher and a church planter back in the uh, back in the twenties and thirties, and uh, and and so here in this this small village of of thirty people is a is a church with attendance of one hundred and fifty, and has just planted a. A, a church in a nearby community that's running 300, um, and and so I, you know, it brought a tear to my eye when uh, when I when I saw what had what had grown out of out of that small church plant back uh, back about 1930. Um, but uh, we stopped by stopped by the cemetery where my my parents are are buried, and uh, and on the stone. Are two words uh, under each of their names. Uh, under my dad's name is the word preacher, and under my mother's name 
is the word teacher. <laughs> and uh, and both words are understated because uh, my dad preached in many of the largest camp meetings of the day across the U.S. in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And and my mother taught grade school for, for 33 years, uh, starting out by by riding in a horse-drawn buggy to her first school in, in <laughs> southeast Kansas. And, uh, yeah. But but when my dad, uh, I, I worked with my dad in designing that that gravestone, and uh, he wanted a candle holder underneath the word preacher and teacher, with the candle uh, nearly burned away, and and the words on the on the gravestone and giving light to others, they were burned away, and so so the lessons that I learned at home were were lessons about serving others and that. Uh, that would prepare me for my lifetime of service to others. Oh, that I love that story, Dan. I really do. You must be immensely grateful for the uh, background, your parents, and that small-town life. Yes, a- absolutely. It, it was a good place to start. I guess. Uh, did you uh, set your sights on the big city, so to speak, uh, early on? or did how, how did your life develop that way, Dan? Well, I I really didn't uh, set my sights on the big city. I I set my sights on on getting education, and uh, and so I went to college uh, nearby in Emporia, Kansas, what is now um, uh, Emporia State University. And uh, I remember I was 19 years of age. Uh, I was a junior in in college and taking my first federal income tax class. And uh, and I'm not I'm not sure how how good I did in that class, but I remember trying to apply what I was learning in college one day when I was looking at my dad's income tax return. Uh, he had income from ministerial services, and and even though I hadn't learned very much in that income tax class, I could tell that my dad's tax return was not accurately prepared, even though he was paying someone um, who held themselves out to be a tax return preparer to uh, to do that work for him, and and you know at that. At that time, Wayne, there were no books on preparing tax returns for ministers. Uh, in fact, there weren't any books that would come along for nearly 30 years. Hmm. Um, and so people just did the best they could based on the information they had. But but I remember the Lord planted a seed in my heart uh, that day that that someday I should help fill the void in uh, in this information chain and in, in helping uh, ministers uh, you, know, you know, do what is right and, and take advantage of the tax laws. And uh, so fast forward about 20 years, I was 40 years old or so, and one day I remember making a list of the goals I wanted to reach by the time I was 50 years of age, and, and one of those goals was to write a book. I'm not sure why, why I put that down on the list, but, but I did, write a book by age 50. And uh, and little did I know at that time that uh, that at age fifty, exactly at fifty, I'd write two books under a contract with Zonovan. Now it's Harper's Collins, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and one was a book about ministers' taxes and finance, and the other was a book about about uh, nonprofit or ministry taxes and finance. And uh, and you know if we if the Lord willing the creek don't rise and we finish <laughs> those books again this year, they will have been annually published. For 28 consecutive years. That's amazing, um, and that's been part of my writing career. That that where how God has opened the doors where I've written 10 different titles and 60 editions of books. I'm with some of the co-authors. 
you know these these books were were never close to the New York Times bestseller list, but they <laughs> but they have been a part of my lifestyle of of serving others. Yeah, they really serve a purpose. They do, and that's how we got acquainted was through those uh, early books and uh, yes, doing doing yes, radio call in shows together. Yes, I remember driving to uh, Chicago from Indianapolis and doing those shows with you. I, I remember that time fondly. <laughs> We'll talk more about uh, how you've come full circle then from preparing your father's tax return to helping so many others uh, with the issues of integrity financially. Uh, We'll talk about that in a moment, Dan. Tell me about your relationship with Christ and when that came about personally for you. Well, as I said, that was uh, that relationship started in that in that camp meeting um, in in Kansas when I was uh, when I was fourteen years of age. Um, you know that was back in the day when the uh, when the camp meeting evangelists uh, uh, preached heaven and hell and 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 hell they preached on hell uh, in a way that it was hot enough that you could almost feel yeah, it. I remember, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I I walked the aisle on a Saturday night uh, in in that camp meeting and and made a commitment to Christ uh, that night and and uh, have not wavered from that. Hmm. And at what point did uh, did you meet your wife? Um, I met my wife uh, in uh, 1964. We were we were married in 64, so we've uh, uh, we've been married uh, been married over 50 years. Well, as you took that first tax course, uh, did you know that you were going to be headed for a career in finance? Well, I I really didn't. Um, I, I the the Lord impressed on me that. Uh, that I should go into accounting a little a little after that, and so that led me to uh, to sit for the CPA exam in my in my twenties and pass the the CPA exam and get get a master's degree. I was trying to I was just simply trying to prepare myself as well as I could uh, so the Lord could use me. Yeah, a lot of people would look at the uh, career of accounting and say, "Boy, I don't know if I could deal with all the detail that comes up." But you seem to thrive on that, Dan. Well, uh, you know, in in certain part of my career, uh, yes, and uh, you know, there are parts of uh, of accounting that are that are detail oriented, and and yet there are other the other parts that you can uh, you can take the thirty thousand foot view of what's happening in an organization, and that's that's really more of what what I do today mm-hmm. um, in uh, in looking at the finances and other operations of of ECFA members. Yeah, what are some of the other jobs you've had through the years? Um, well, um, you know, after after college, I soon went went on to work at the University of Kansas Medical Center in Kansas City. I ended uh, my time there as as controller, and uh, then I started a CPA firm from scratch at at age thirty four, hmm. um, and uh, built that to a sizable firm in in Kansas City. And my goal there with the CPA firm was simply to provide service to Christians and. And Christ-centered churches and nonprofits, and and although I've been gone for a number of years, uh, 43 years later after started that firm, uh, they still have that same purpose operating under the name of Keller Owens uh, in Overland Park. Kansas. That's wonderful. So you really have never wandered far from that original purpose that the Lord laid on your heart. No, I I have not. Uh, you know, after the CPA firm, I, I worked for 10 years at the uh, headquarters of the Wesleyan Church, uh, the denominational headquarters in Indiana. And uh, so, no, it's been a career of working with, primarily working with Christians and uh, and Christ-centered organizations. And we'll learn more about Dan Busby and the mission of ECFA coming up on First Person. 
I decided to escape North Korea after listening to FEBC's broadcast. I was able to keep my faith firm by listening to your programs. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional from FEBC telling more listener stories while at the same time it encourages you from God's Word. Receive this online devotional without obligation when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Dan Busby. Dan is president of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. And that's a mouthful, but boy, is it necessary and has been necessary in our world for some time now. You said it earlier, but restate the mission of ECFA, Dan. Yes, uh, our mission uh, is enhancing trust in Christ-centered churches and ministries. And and so while we're we're best known as an accreditor, so we accredit uh, organizations. Um, the the mission statement is broader than that in enhancing trust, and so um, so we enhance trust, but we we provide resources to uh, to churches and and Christ centered ministries that are not our members. That's that's really kind of our pay forward uh, to organizations that uh, many of which we don't receive any revenue from. Yeah. Uh, the world talks about the good housekeeping seal of approval. The ECFA seal of approval has become very necessary. Yes, uh, donors have increasingly looked for that seal when they're trying to decide between hundreds, if not thousands, of, of charities to support. Um, and across the years, that that seal uh, has has become valued to to donors, and so in in turn, it becomes valuable to Christian ministries. One of your books is entitled Trust, the Firm Foundation for Kingdom Fruitfulness. Can we talk about this issue of trust? Um, it, Boy, in this world today, you, you can't take anything for granted, can you? No, that's right. Uh, I, when I wrote that book about three years ago, I didn't realize uh, how, how important uh, the word trust would become. It seems like uh, it, it, is, it is more the word for the day. And, and so in, in, our, in our world of, of Christ-centered organizations, um, I, I observe in that book that that givers choose trust, volunteers prioritize trust, board members value trust, collaborators embrace trust, and God honors trust. It it just simply is all about trust. Yeah, Dan, I know you've given a lot of thought to this, but what do you say to people in positions of leadership in Christian organizations? We have. I've observed some great boards through the years, and I've seen some boards that have failed in their responsibility. What What is your message to leaders? Well, uh, Wayne, when uh, when we see an organization that's uh, that's having some issues, um, while it may crop up in the fundraising side, or maybe it it shows its head in the financial management uh, arena, um, when we trace the issue back to its source, it it comes back to to poor governance. And uh, and while ECFA is is perhaps best known for for our standards that relate to financial management and fundraising or stewardship, um, we we have uh, we have standards that relate to governance. And and one of my goals in the last few years has been to raise the raise the bar in in education uh, of our of our members and our board members as it relates to the governance topic and that that's why last year uh, my co-author John Pearson and I released uh, a book 
lessons from the church boardroom, and and here in a couple months we're scheduled to release a book, Lessons from the Church Boardroom, and uh, uh, we also plan to publish a, a book written by Dr. Gary Hogue and Dr. Wes Wilmer and Dr. Greg Henson in a couple months, a book on governance entitled The Council. Um, and uh, in fact, we're we're giving serious thought to conducting six. Um, national symposia across the United States next year on the topic of governance, preparing organizations for the challenges of of the next decade, uh, the decade between 1920 and 1930. Um, it, uh, you know, spiritual oversight um, of of churches and ministries is of utmost importance. So, who are the members of ECFA? Well, those are. Those are churches and uh, and other nonprofits who voluntarily come to us and agree to subscribe to ECFA standards and allow us to hold them accountable for those standards. And and we do that through an annual. We do it first of all through a, a deep dive on the application side, and then an annual renewal process. Um, we'll make. Uh, certain site visits as well as uh, remote uh, remote reviews by by telephone, um, and uh, so it's a, it is an accountability process to, to hold them to our high standards uh, relating to governance, financial management, and stewardship. Hmm. Sounds like a pretty rigorous process. Yes. Organizations that align with ECFA, it, it goes beyond just having a seal on their website, a seal of trust, so to speak, but you really are a resource provider, aren't you? Yes. Uh, that's one of the things we've, uh, we've expanded here in the last few years um, with uh, uh, regular webinars. Um, we, sometimes we'll have as many as 2,000 people on a webinar, which is an unheard of number today. So webinars, uh, monthly podcasts, uh, regular series of videos. Uh, we're out in various conferences to make presentations. Um, we're publishing a, a large number of ebooks uh, that are in our catalog, and then uh, and then printed printed books. By the end of the year, we'll have about fourteen uh, printed books on our catalog. And so, uh, you know, we we get millions of hits on our website each year to our knowledge center, where uh, members have have full access, uh, non-members have uh, certain access uh, to uh, to key materials that are, that are helpful to ministries. For those of us who are individuals in the kingdom of God, not representing any one organization, what are some of the things that we should be thinking about as we, as we want to give to kingdom causes that are making a difference? What are some of the things you've thought about through the years, Dan? Well, the, the principles that ECFA espouses, uh, any church or any ministry can attempt to uh, to uphold those those standards, and so it would be good for any organization to uh, to try to uphold them. Uh, you know, we would suggest that to know whether you're upholding them or not uh, really is not possible unless you're in an accountability process, so that someone is determining whether you're doing that. But uh, but every church and every ministry needs to uh, to consistently being be you know reaching for a higher a higher bar a higher standard you know we think it's uh, best done in a relationship with ECFA but uh, but we need to be doing uh, we all need to be doing a better job of of what we're doing uh, whether whether we're ECFA members or not but for the individual who's looking to give uh, how can ECFA help us 
well, you know, the the seal is the message uh, to, to the giver, and so you know, givers. Um, you can number one look for the seal, and, and number two, if if the organization to which they'd like to give is not a member, you know they could encourage that organization uh, to belong to ECFA, and so uh, so through that process, they're they're helping you know raise the bar of integrity. And how do you go about the process of evaluating organizations and continuing the process after they become members of ECFA? Well, the process starts uh, with the application. So, so the uh, the church or ministry uh, applies for membership and and provides a, a a host of of information to us, so that so that we can determine whether uh, whether the standards are being upheld by the by the church or the ministry. And so, you know, some of those standards relate to things like um, does this church or ministry have an independent board, um, you know, with with the hope that that will uh, help raise the bar of independent independent thinking when it comes to governing the organization. And so, so we we, we look for the independence uh, in, in the board. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we require, um, based on size, uh, large organizations uh, need to provide us with an annual audit by an independent CPA firm. Um, smaller organizations um, may be able to do a quote quote review or quote quote um, uh, compliance, um, uh, but uh, but we need to have uh, financial statements prepared by independent CPAs from the organization, uh, not just so that we can say we have financial statements, but but so we can we can determine whether the organization. Um, is is properly managing its resources, and uh, they're they're in a position to uh, to pay their bills on time, meet their meet their loan payments, et cetera. So they're they're a good witness. Uh, they're a good witness for Jesus Christ. Um, you know, we look at things uh, like uh, how the compensation is is set. Um, is it set using comparable data? Is it set? Um, independently of the of the CEO or the senior pastor, um, and then when it comes to to stewardship, the word that we'll often use in the church world or fundraising in the nonprofit world, you know, we're we're looking to determine if uh, if representations by the church or ministry are truthful. Um, in other words, uh, are the promises that they're making in their in their fundraising or stewardship materials uh, are they are they fulfilling those and and especially as it relates to uh, restricted gifts we often call it designated gifts in the church world but are those uh, designated or restricted gifts being fulfilled in a timely manner and used for the intended purpose there there's not very much that will cause a a church or nonprofit more agony than if they if they receive restricted funds for one purpose and and spend it for another, yeah. and so so we'll we'll walk through all of those steps in the application process, and then and then in the in the annual renewal process, uh, we're we're doing a little bit higher level review uh, to be sure that all of those standards are still being complied with. I'll say it again: ECFA provides a vital service to the church as it holds members to high standards of financial accountability. That's Dan Busby, president of the ECFA, and there's more about the organization and Dan's books at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank our friends and supporters at the Far East Broadcasting Company who make these weekly interviews possible. The gospel message is so important and FEBC is doing all it can to make sure that as many people as possible hear the Word of God and are pointed to Christ. 
taking Christ to the world through radio and new media is the mission of FEBC, and millions of lives in dozens of countries are touched each year as a result. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back next time for First Person. Music